we're grateful, grateful that you're here. Uh, most of you guys know, like I know, that uh, relationships can get messy. Am I right? You don't have to say an amen on that. You don't have to say that. I can see it in your eyes. But most of us probably know that if you've been in a relationship for any amount of time, you know that at times it can get, it can get a little messy. Sometimes we go into relationships with all these expectations and then somewhere along the way we realize that the person we're in relationship with is not going to meet those expectations. And oftentimes that's a really painful experience. Uh, sometimes uh, we go into a relationship and, and we realize that it's just not going to work out the way that we hoped it would. And that's the nature of life. And even in the best case scenarios, most long-term, meaningful, purposeful relationships require a lot of work. And that's in like best case scenario. And that has been true since the history of, of the world. Relationships require work. But I, what we've been talking about over the last few weeks is recognizing that as hard as relationships may be to produce something good, we've realized that even in the last few years, relationships have gotten a little bit more complicated. Right, And part of that is due to the amount of technology that has been infused with the way that we relate with other people. Uh, part of that is because culture is changing. And so over the last few years, you've probably noticed that there has been a shift in some of the rules and expectations that we have when we go into relationships. And that's not all bad, right? That's not all a bad thing. Uh, evolving and developing the way that we engage in relationships can be good. But the problem with how we seem to be transitioning uh, in the way that we engage in relationships in our culture is that it doesn't seem to be producing what we hope it'll produce. It's not producing better, longer-lasting, meaningful, purposeful relationships. And so we've got to ask the question, what, what is going wrong? Where are we off? So that's what we're doing in this series. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how to do relationships God's way. And I wonder how many of you uh, remember the first car that you ever bought. That, that feeling is probably still fresh in your mind as you think about it. I bought, my first car was a 1967 Buick Skylark. It was an old classic car, had mint green interior, uh, and it looked great on the outside. <laughs> um, but it was a great car, Eight, 800 bucks, uh, and I was cruising, about 15 15 and a half years old, bought the car. What's interesting about my first car, may, that was true of me, maybe it's true of you, is that that first car, I probably did 12 months of research before I actually purchased the car. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like you go, back in the day, you'd go to Auto Trader if you were looking for a classic car, or you'd go to Auto Trader online, or you look up in the newspapers, all the different car listings, and then you start to really get a sense of what's out there. And part of why you take so long to buy a car is because you want to make sure that the car you are purchasing with a lot of money is going to meet the current circumstances of your life, right? You want to learn about all the specific details that a particular car offers. And when you find the right car, then you buy it. That's kind of what we're doing in this series. Okay, today I want to talk about how to find a spouse. Come on, can I get an amen from anyone in the room? <laughs> we're going to talk about how to find a spouse and we're going to talk about uh, what God, we're going to look at what God tells us we have to do to do that well. And the reason why we're talking like this, you may be showing up to church this morning and you're like, why would we be talking about a topic like this in a place like this? This is the reason why. Someone said that the two most important decisions that you will ever make, the two decisions in your life that will influence the trajectory and the future of your existence almost more than anything else is one, do I want to get married? 
And number two, who do I want to marry? Do I want to get married? Who do I want to get married? That will influence your future almost more than any other decision that you will ever make uh, in your life. And so today we're going to talk about what to look for in a spouse. And I realize that I'm talking to an experienced group of people, so that means that you've probably read books on the topic, you've observed relationships in your own life, uh, evaluating the health and the quality of other people's relationship, you've probably watched the movie The Notebook, most of you have kept tabs on the Kardashians, okay? Uh, no? Okay. <laughs> but all of those different things have influenced your ideas about love and relationships but today, today we're going to look and see what God has to say about it. There was a story of a young couple that was just about to get married, and they received a note from the pastor, and the note said, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. And that's kind of what we're doing this morning. We're saying, God, will you speak into how we think about relationships? Will you speak into how we think that we're able to think about how to engage with other people? So we're going to jump into that conversation. But before we do, I have a few little notes of preface uh, before we, we begin. The first is that I want you to know that what I'm saying this morning is coming from God. Okay? Every statement that I make will be based on a scripture uh, that we're drawing it from. And so I'm saying that because if there's anything that I say that may feel uncomfortable to you or may make you upset... I want you to be mad at God, not at me, okay? <laughs> number two, number two, I'm going to be speaking to those who are preparing for marriage. So that means you're dating, you're engaged, or maybe you're single and ready to mingle. Okay, that's who I'm talking about. Uh, and that, that little detail is important as you're receiving some of the content this morning because that little detail should change how you receive what is said, what is said this morning. Uh, if, if you are married and what I'm describing does not uh, describe the current nature of your relationship, your response is not to back out of the marriage. And this is what we say about marriage. Marriage is like you are flying on a plane and you don't got any parachutes. And the plane starts to fall apart, the engine stops working, you start to crash. You don't jump out of the plane without a parachute, you start working on the engine, okay? That's our strategy. Uh, if, if what is said today does not define uh, the current state of your, your marriage, we're going to work on the engine. We're going to get it going again. Sound good? Okay, last but not least, I want you to know that there is no judgment. I'm going to be saying things, and I want you to know that on our end, there is absolutely no judgment going out to anyone. Um, as a church, we have always said we, we have to be willing to speak into the topics that are relevant to the issues that people are facing in our, in our culture. And this is one of those things. And we cannot expect people to behave in alignment with God's vision for their life if we never talk about it. And so we're going to talk about it, but I want you to know that if you choose to not uh, follow what is being said this morning, that's all good. That's, that's your life. We're all adults in here, and so we make those decisions. And I want you to know that there's not going to be any ill will on my part. Okay, we're going we're gonna to still be friends. We can go grab coffee and, uh, and hang out. Uh, after church, okay? There's, there's no issues there, but I want you to know on our end, I just want to say that there's no judgment. Okay, we ready? Let's look at what God has to say. Let's look at what God says to look for in relationships. The first thing is that you want to have spiritual unity. You want to have spiritual unity. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. 14, verse 14. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. 
How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? So what Paul is saying is he's writing to this community of faith in Corinth. He's saying that the internal workings of a believer and an unbeliever are so vastly different from one another that it is impossible for them to have harmony and coexist. And I know that maybe for some of us that sounds a little bit harsh, but it's true. Because when you try to unify two people with two completely different worldviews, there are going to be inherent challenges. And Paul is saying that to do this on a spiritual level does not work. Because without spiritual unity, you cannot fully enjoy the depth of the person that you are in relationship with. And the reason why is because when God infuses us with his spirit, that is the one thing that influences how we interact with someone on so many different levels. It influences how you interact physically, sexually, emotionally, mentally. Our spiritual lives is the basis for which, for, for which we operate and connect with other people at the deepest level. So let me give you an example of what that may feel like. Have you guys ever watched a really amazing movie with a group of friends? And you're walking out of the movie and you're just like, that was awesome, right? And you don't even have to describe like really the details of the scene, but you're like, remember when he did that and then this happened? And I, obviously I'm describing an action film because I couldn't get that excited for other types of films that other people may be more interested in. But there's this shared experience when you walk out of a movie theater and you've just watched a really good movie. And then you have that experience and you try to tell someone about the movie who wasn't there and you're doing your best to describe the details and they just don't get it. They're not excited about it. They don't feel what happened. That is a picture of what it feels like when someone does not have a spiritual shared experience. There's a block. There's a limit to the way that you can interact with people. And I want you to listen to what most, uh, most statistics suggest about marriage. It says that one out of every two and a half marriages end in divorce. And so it's probably not a surprise as we see this emerging generation of people watching what's happening in marriages, in their family, maybe in their own home, and they're like, this just does not seem like a fruitful endeavor to engage in. Imagine if you guys were thinking about traveling and you were gonna go on vacation with your family and you are traveling far so you get a plane ticket and as you're going to purchase the ticket, you're like, hey, we'd like a ticket to, um, to New York. And uh, the lady says, no problem, or the man says, no problem. We just want to let you know that one out of every two and a half flights crashes on the way. <laughs> Most of us would probably be like, no, we're, you know what, we'll, we'll, we'll do this other airline. Okay, no problem. But thanks for the heads up. But I want you to listen to what happens when when people are spiritually united. What happens to the divorce rate? When both people are believers, when they attend church together, when they pray together, and when they read their Bible together, uh, the divorce rate is not one out of every two and a half people, it's one out of every 1,105 marriages. If you want to divorce-proof your marriage, you're gonna want to have spiritual unity in your life. Now, I'm not saying, this is a general rule of thumb, I'm not saying this is true in every circumstance, but I'm saying what the statistics suggest is that if you are united, you are united in your faith, uh, this, this helps. But this is what normally happens in a relationship where there is spiritual disunity. The spiritual person, over time, becomes less spiritual. 
And this is what happens. You know that it's harder to pull someone up than it is to pull them down. Right? It's harder, it's, it's easier to stay in bed on a Sunday morning than it is to get up and get your kids ready to go to church and to get them set for the day. It's harder. It's harder to spiritually pull someone up than it is to pull them down. And so the less spiritual person typically has a greater gravitational pull. And what you will see over time in relationships where there's spiritual disunity is that by and large, everyone becomes less spiritual over time. And so anyone that you have ever considered being in a relationship with should have, you want to have a spiritual unity. Because this is the other part of it. Is that when both lives are rooted in Jesus, you may disagree on the small things, but you will know that when times get tough and things start falling apart, where that person defaults to in life is the same place that you default to, in the arms of Jesus, in the presence of God. That is the power of spiritual unity. Number two, you want to have a shared purpose. If the first point was about having the same foundation, a shared purpose is about having the same destination. Someone said that in marriage you want to be heading in the same direction for the same reason, for the same purpose. Amos chapter 3 verse 3 said, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? The answer is no. You can't do it, right? One person's going this way. The other person's going this way. What does that produce if they're attached together? A bunch of tension. A bunch of tension. Now I'm going to be transparent this morning. I talked to my wife about most of this. <laughs> no, she knows. But my wife and I could not be more different people, okay? We grew up in different families with different cultures, different ways of thinking. I'm city-ish. She's country-ish, okay? Very different environments. When you go over to her family's house, it's all quiet. Things are put in place. Everyone plays Monopoly by the rules, okay? <laughs> my house, my house in Monopoly, if you are not cheating, you are not trying, okay? <laughs> you do not even really care about it. And her family, they have this thing called, never heard of it before, personal space, okay? You have like space where you can be by yourself and, and not have to interact with anyone. My house, you are like with people 24-7 constantly, and it is loud all the time, all the time. And, uh, and I remember, though, that uh, in the early days, we could be, like, experiencing the same thing from the same seat, same time, everything, experiencing it, experiencing it together. And then after, we, we walk out of that experience with completely different conclusions about what just happened. And that sounds great, maybe, right? But it's not great when you're trying to do basic things and you have different ideas about how you should do it. And so it was real frustrating in the early years but on the back end, we have realized that having different perspectives on life is actually a huge value, a huge value. But this is the thing that has unified us throughout it all is that we have actually a shared purpose. We kind of just see life and faith in a very similar way. And this is a very simple way of how we understand our life. We know that this place is not our home. And we have an eternal destination that we are heading to. And so we tell ourselves, don't get comfortable, don't take things too seriously, have fun, and do your best to make a difference in the name of Jesus. And that's kind of it. Most things we can figure out uh, as we go. And I kind of shared this with my wife earlier, and I said, babe, the details don't matter, huh? And she goes, the details don't matter to you. <laughs> and, 
And so, that's just one side of how we view things. But the destination is the same for us. So the details don't matter as much. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, and so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. Do you know that God created you for a purpose? Every person in this room has a purpose for their life. God has a plan that he has prepared for you. He has wired you for it. He has gifted you for it. And he wants to see it fulfilled in your life. But this is what happens. And it's really, really sad. Is that if we do not have a strong sense of God's purpose for our life, it is so easy to allow for other people to distract us from the path that God has us on. And the danger is that when we enter into a relationship with those type of people, you are living with two people with different purposes. We are two people that are connected, but we are going in different directions. And if you have ever been in a relationship with, like that, I don't have to give you very many more details, but you know that there is just constant tension all the time. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts Use them well to serve one another. And this is why all this matters. It's because the purpose of marriage is to be in a relationship with someone who helps you to fulfill your purpose. And you are supposed to be in a relationship to help someone else fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And it is just hard to be in a relationship with someone that you feel like you're dragging toward the right things. And it's hard to be in a relationship being dragged to something that you don't want to be into, be dragged into. So you want to have shared purpose. Number three, you want to be emotionally healthy. Can I get an amen in the room? Don't clap. Hey, hey, wait, be careful. Hey. <laughs> Only if you're single you can clap, okay? <laughs> that's right. All right, that's in the back corner, everybody. Just just so you know. <laughs> but notice, notice, I said emotionally healthy, not emotionally perfect. All right, none of us are perfect. The Bible says that we are all sinners. What that means is that there is a gap between who we are and where we want to be for every single one of us. For, for many of us, that is reflected on the outside of our behaviors and our words. For others of us, there are deeper issues that, uh, that where that's reflected in our head and our heart. But all of us have areas of growth. So this is not about perfection, but it is about being around emotionally mature people. I heard a, a statistic recently that said 80%, 80% of all marriages end in divorce when one or both people are emotionally unhealthy. And so how do we know? Here are a few questions to help you discern where someone's at and where you're at. Number one, do they have uncontrolled anger? Does someone have uncontrolled anger? Have you seen that exhibited in their life. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 says, don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. This is what most angry people tell you without telling you, that they are deeply insecure in some area of their life that they are either unwilling to or unable to address. That is what an angry person is telling you. Angry people are like a cup that is filled to the brim with water, and any time you tap it, it spills out onto other things. 
And this is what you have to remember. That if you exhibit a pattern of angriness in someone's life, you will oftentimes, in the early stages, exhibit that anger being expressed to someone else. But when you are married to that person, do you know what happens? That anger gets expressed toward you. I tell friends all the time who are single, not because I'm an expert, but because I've, because I've, I've, I've worn down that beaten path. I tell people, look for someone who shows kindness in situations where they could show anger. Look for someone who shows kindness in situations where they could show anger. Number two, do they have addictions? Who has anguish? Proverbs 23, 30. Who has anguish? Who has sorrows? Who is always fighting? Who is always complaining? Who has unnecessary bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? It is the one who spends long hours in the taverns trying out new drinks. The proverb is saying that there is a whole host of behavioral issues that come with someone who is addicted. And addictions are a sign of a deeply disturbed inner life. And I'm not talking about someone who breaks their diet with ice cream every week, okay? Confession. <laughs> Confession. I'm talking about a destructive habit that has the ability to dictate the way people spend their time and their resources. So some common addictions. Some people may have shopping addictions, eating addictions, alcohol addiction, pornography addiction, uh, codependency addictions. These are any patterns of destructive habits in someone's life. And this is the reason why you've got to be cautious with addictions. And, it, and this may be us. We may be talking to ourselves this morning about the addiction. But someone with addiction needs help that a romantic relationship cannot resolve. Someone with an addiction needs the type of help that a romantic relationship cannot resolve. And I'm going to tell you something, an insight from someone who's been married 14 years, not the longest amount of time, but this is something you got to know. You can't change people. You cannot change people. The only person who can change someone at the deepest level is Jesus Christ. And so if you think that you're going to go into a relationship with someone who has a few red flags and in a few years you're going to help them work it out, that is some bad expectations that you're taking into a relationship because it ain't going to work. Number three, do they have bitterness? Do they have bitterness? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Do you hear how that's described? The poison root of bitterness. Bitterness is poison to the soul. And so someone in your life who has like this ready file of all the people in their life who has hurt them or wounded them and the struggle still seems as relevant today as it did 15 years ago when the event happened, you've got to be aware because in most cases someone like this may struggle with bitterness. And in most cases, bitterness comes from the inability to process the things that need to be forgiven. That's where bitterness comes from. Because it's this anger that keeps reoccurring in your life every time you revisit this hurt that happened to you in the past and you have not released it. You're still hanging on. You guys ever been in the same position for a long time? I had to crawl up into our roof the other day and uh, I have a little bit of obstructed 
mobility these days, and so I was bent over, and I got like this super strong cramp in my stomach, so I had to like stretch it out. But that's what bitterness feels like. It is like this constant position of life that you have stayed in when you should be moving on, but you've remained in the same place and you haven't moved past the pain that has happened. Someone said that there's a difference between a scar and a wound. A scar is a sign that you've been hurt, but healing has happened. A wound is a picture that the pain has never healed. And some of us have walked into this room with scars, and some of us have walked into this room with open wounds. Bitterness is a sign that oftentimes that someone has been unwilling to address the past. And the reality is that if they can't not, if they have not learned to forgive the hurts of the past, it's going to be a challenge for them to develop the habit of forgiveness in a marriage. It's very hard to learn that later in life. Not impossible, but just hard. But the opposite of emotional unhealthy people is emotional health. And the two greatest habits, the two greatest characteristics of emotional health are generosity and kindness. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 25 says that a generous person prospers. He who refreshes others refreshes themselves. You want to be in relationship with generous people, people who are giving of themselves to others around them. They're showing up when their friends are in need. They are living their life with that perspective to help other people. That is generosity. And I remember that's one of the first things that I noticed about my wife outside of her, her attractiveness. The second thing that I noticed actually was her work ethic, but the third thing that I noticed was her generosity. She was a generous person. She was a generous person. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17 says, a kind-hearted person gains respect and a kind person benefits themselves, but cruel people bring trouble to themselves. Notice that nowhere does it say anything about beauty. Almost everything that we think about love is the opposite of what God says about it. And all you do have to do to test this theory is to ask yourself, do the most beautiful people in Hollywood have the best records of marriage? And if the answer is no, then the question is, why do we allow for their ideas about marriage, their narrative about relationship to influence how we behave and think about how we engage in relationships with other people so much? Because this is what I want to remind you. A bad marriage is a million times worse than being lonely on a Friday night. But a good marriage can amplify all the other good things in your life. A bad marriage is a million times worse than being lonely on a Friday night, but a good marriage can amplify all the goodness in your life. There was a story of a young girl who had grown up in a real, a real good home, and um, she moved to college and started sort of abandoning some of the values that she grew up with in her family, and she started making some pretty bad decisions and, uh, and she came home uh, to visit her family on vacation, school break, uh, and she was telling her mom about uh, a relationship that she, was, she thought she was developing with a guy that she met at a party. And she goes on and she kind of describes all the unique characteristics of this guy that she met, and she was talking about like all the wonderful things about him, and by the end of the conversation, the mom said some potentially really harsh words. She said, if everything that you say about that guy is true, 
he probably would want nothing to do with a girl like you. And as soon as her mom said that, she kind of fell to the ground and she started crying. And she started crying not because she was mad at her mom, but because she knew that what she said was true. And I think that sometimes in a conversation like this, we are looking at the content from our perspective. And we're saying, I want to find someone who I have a shared purpose with. I want to find someone uh, who we uh, have a shared faith around. We want to find someone who is uh, spiritually and emotionally healthy. But did you know that the person you're looking for is looking for someone like that too? And if your life does not reflect these principles or these values, we shouldn't think that we're going to attract someone who does. Because we attract who we are. And if your hope is to be in a relationship with someone where all these characteristics are true of them, chances are it has to be true of you first. Now, like we said, we're not talking about perfection. We are talking about progress, though. Progress toward the things that help us to align our lives with God. And we said on the front end of this conversation that there ain't no judgment, because there's not. But there is wisdom. Because what you have the choice to do in your life with your relationships is to do things your way, to do things their way, or to do things God's way. And whatever you decide to do is on you. But my hope and my experience says that when we do it God's way, it's never, it's not always easy, but it always leads, it leads to the better life. It leads to the deep-rooted types of relationships that we all long for. I heard a pastor say, be the person that you're looking for is looking for. So what would that look like for us this week? What if we decided today that we're going to commit to God's plan for relationships? We're going to commit to being the type of person that the person we're looking for is looking for. Does that make sense? So the question is, what is your connection with God like these days? How clear has your purpose become? Where are you at in terms of your own emotional health? Where is there bitterness still creeping in in your life? Where are there still greedy areas of your life that you have not released to God? It is impossible to have peace in relationships when we have not yet found peace in our own hearts. And there are some of us that have shown up today and there's just that inner turmoil. And it ain't new to your story. It's been a present friend, a present enemy, companion for a lot of years. And maybe today you showed up because you're ready to release that person or that voice in your life. You're ready to move on to a healthier life that is less fragmented and full of hope. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity to step into faith for the very first time. And this is not saying I'm stepping into perfection, but it's saying I'm ready to try something new. So if that's you this morning, I'm going to ask uh, everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes right now. And if today you're ready to begin a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray this short prayer in your heart after me. Dear God, we love you and we thank you for your goodness in our life. 
I thank you for loving me when I wanted nothing to do with you. I want to thank you that you continued to show up when I was doing my own thing. But today I'm ready. Today I'm ready for a new life. Today I'm ready for a new heart. Today I'm ready for a new way of existing in the world that doesn't feel like me striving for everything I want. Today I'm ready to receive the gift of your salvation. Today I'm ready to believe that you love me enough that you sent your son on the cross to sacrifice his life so that I didn't have to carry the weight of my own sin. Today I pray that you would give me the strength to follow you in the days to come. In Jesus' name, I believe. I'm going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning. And for those of you that prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to take one more step of faith because what what we realize is that any time we respond physically to what God is doing spiritually, it solidifies something in, in our hearts and our hope and our prayers that today would be that day for someone. That today would be that day that God has solidified his love for you in, in your heart. And so on the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to quickly raise your hand. One, God loves you so much. Two, you didn't show up into this place by accident. Three, go ahead and raise your hand this morning. I see you, 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 I see you. If you're tuning in online, go ahead and hit the bottom, the button at the bottom of the comment section. We have a host that would love to get you more information. Father, we just love you and we thank you that you're at work in this place every single week. And God, we know that at the root of so much of the goodness and the pain in our lives are relationships. And God, every single one of us, Lord, are looking for meaningful connections with other people in this world. You've, you've built us for that. You've wired us for that. And Lord, your heart for us is to experience the goodness that comes from other image bearers in this world. And yet we find ourselves so often on the back end of painful experiences. And so God, we're just asking that you would do uh, the healing that only you can do. God, we're asking that you would give us wisdom as we move forward, as we think about relationships. And God, that you would lead us and that you would guide us to this place where we can live out our purpose in health and wisdom. We proud this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you do me a favor this morning? Would you celebrate every life that stepped into faith this morning for the first time?